0: Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for July 13th, 2022. There are a ton of books to talk about today, uh, and um, I'm by myself today. Fortunately, Jay couldn't join me, so uh, I guess I should dive right in because we're gonna. I'm going to try to cover 18 books. I'm going to try to keep it short, uh, under two hours for you guys. It's a lot of books. Um, spoiler-free as always. And don't forget, if you're looking for thoughts about DC books, that's on our DC spotlight that comes out on Tuesdays, and it does have spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled, make sure you read the DC books before you check out that spotlight. So that being said, let's go ahead and dive right in. I'm going to start with one of my favorite books of the week. A really impressive, an event that has been um, I don't know, highly anticipated. It was a big deal last year. It seems like Marvel's going to make the X-Men Gala, the Hellfire Gala, a big deal every year. Last year, they highlighted it with Terraforming Mars. This time, there's something else that's maybe less um, less of something that X-Men wanted to have public come out. But it's a it's a huge deal, like in terms of a plot point, a storyline – a thread, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's big. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were worried when Jonathan Hickman left, left as kind of the the director, if you will, or the the showrunner for the X-Men corner of the Marvel universe, uh, that it wouldn't be as good or as, uh, as rich of a story with all these different threads and, um, the interpersonal relationships between the mutants, uh, you know, between mutant and mutant versus mutant and human, the politics of it. But, you know, the people that he left, he he said he had total faith in them. And I can see why, because he's been gone a while now and these books haven't missed a beat. So this hellfire gala, number one, that's out this year is written by Jerry Dugan. He's got quite a few artists on uh, the book with him. Um, If I have any complaint, about the book, it is that uh, the art is inconsistent. It's not that any of the individual art is bad. it's just that you know they picked some really talented artists but their styles aren't always that similar. And so it can be a little jarring at times, but we have uh, Chris Anka, Russell Dodderman, Matteo Lowly, and CF Villa listed as artists. Rain Barreto, Frank Martin, Matt Miller, and Matthew Wilson as the color artists. And then Corey Petit does the lettering. So there's a lot of characters here. We even see some uh, real life celebrities make their appearance and and Dugan seems to have some fun with that. <clears throat> but really what this does is it plants a lot of seeds it pays off a few things and uh it re- really sets up more to come now that this secret that the mutants have been um keeping themselves is out and I, again i'm being vague i think most people most um x-men fans anybody who's kind of up on their x-men current on their x-men knows what i'm talking about but for anybody that that uh isn't current you know i don't i don't want to spoil it for you but that being said if you're not current on x-men there is enough context within the story that if you wanted to pick this up uh, just to, you know, to check out the amazing costumes, because that's another thing, especially when you get people like Chris Anka and Russell Dodderman, you know, they're very into fashion and costume design and whatnot. And so we get a great look for Dr. Doom and Spider-Man among others. So those are the two that really stood out for me that I thought were were fantastic. Tony Stark has an interesting look. Mary Jane looks great. So it's a gorgeous book, but more than that, it's what it implies going forward for, for the X-Men. They're not mutants in the Marvel Universe are not in a place to celebrate. They were like they were, you know, a year ago with the first Hellfire gala. So again, I thought it was fantastic. I think, you know, well, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's new reader-friendly. What I will say is, you know, if you're familiar with mutants, if you're familiar with the Marvel universe, you probably can pick this up. And figure out what's going on, and you know, continue reading it going forward. Um, I, I really enjoyed it even more than I than I thought I would. I thought it was uh, really fantastic. And um, I'm behind on my X Men reading. You know, I, I was at one time trying to do podcasts and get caught up. I kind of fell away uh, from it, uh, but we covered all the House of X on the um, Powers of Ten, and then next up was the. Dawn of X and that's kind of where I I fell off but you know reading this uh, and i am you know I'm also reading Immortal X-Men which I'll talk about in a little bit has kept me kind of abreast of what's going on in the X universe even though I haven't been reading everything but when I you know I read Immortal X-Men I read this and it makes me want to go back and get caught up and, and read everything which is probably a couple hundred comics at this point and it's just hard to find the time but uh, I am enjoying it I do recommend it Uh, I thought it was really, really fantastic. So, uh, all right. Up next, I'm going to briefly talk about where starships go to die. Number two, what lies beneath. This is from writer Mark Sable. Alberto Locatelli is the artist. Juan chose the colors from Rob Steen on letters. I'll be really, really brief with this because obviously we did have Mark Sable on the show just a few weeks ago. Um, And we, we, you know, we talked about this book and talked about how the the horror aspect of it is becoming more pronounced in the second issue. You know, we talked about movies like the thing being an influence on him. And we know that this ragtag diverse group of salvage operators um, and would be world changers are, um, you know, they're trying to to save the world as it were. And uh, when they went down underneath the water and brought up what, might have been the world's first spacecraft uh, the earth's first spacecraft that they found something there something that's up to no good as it were so that's not really a secret or a spoiler we saw that in the first issue so uh this really starts to to emphasize that and you know based on the first issue it was only at the very end the last couple of pages that we got a clue that this might be you know a horror comic body horror whatever you want to call it um and now it seems we're leaning into that more. So, this is a fantastic book. I do recommend it. It's from Aftershock. Uh, and if you want to know more details, but we still kept it spoiler free. Uh, well, we spoiled the first issue. We talked in detail when Mark was on the show about the first issue, but not this second issue. So, if uh, you're curious, want to learn more about it, you can go listen to that interview. Uh, I do encourage you to read the first issue first. But if not, and you don't mind being spoiled, it's fine. Uh, And then you can pick up the second issue and and be all caught up. So, uh, again, another book that I recommend. It's a a joy to read. Uh, Speaking of horror, the next book is A Town Called Terror. We're up to issue number four. Uh, This is from uh, writer Steve Niles. And uh, Simon Kordansky is the artist. Marshall Dillon does the letters. Beautiful book. Uh, I can't say enough about the Kordansky art. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a pretty fast-paced issue. Um, it, Niles does a great job of getting out of the way with the narrative and letting the kurdansky art shine. Uh, there is a, a betrayal. There is a big plot twist in this book that I didn't necessarily see coming. and I didn't mind it. Uh, part of why I didn't see it coming is because I feel like the characterization we've got for the, the characters so far has been really superficial. We haven't dug into them yet. That might be purposeful, from Niles. It might not be the point of the story. It might be, you know, the overall feel of the world he's building Maybe what he wants to focus on as well as the fantastic art. Um, it's just too soon to say, I am a little curious. I would like a little more characterization, however. Um, but at the same time, if we'd gotten a lot more characterization uh, in the first three issues, then I've, I might've seen this twist coming and then it wouldn't have the same impact that it did. So, um, but now that we've, we've had it and we kind of know who the characters are in terms of what their actions are uh, telling us about them, um, then maybe we can get a little more backstory into motivations and have a little bit deeper, more uh, understanding, better understanding, I guess is what I'm trying to say, of, of who these characters are. You know, we learn so much about motivations, like why they do. It's one thing to know what they're going to do or be able to predict what they're going to do the more interesting aspect is why they're doing that. So, again, a beautiful book. The art is just fantastic. The color work by Kordansky, so moody, a lot of reds and oranges uh, to contrast against the the blacks that he uses. So, um, I've said before that he's one of the, the best horror artists, if not the best horror artist working in comics today based on his work on Black Eyed Kids. And I, I definitely stand behind that statement. So, Uh, All right, let's flip back over to Marvel. Up next, we have Eternals. Uh, Well, I take that back. It says Eternals on the inside uh, cover or a couple pages in because it's giving us an introduction into these characters. Because not a lot of people, I think, were reading The Eternals by Kieran Gillen. But we know there's a giant uh, event about to launch from Marvel. And this is kind of the first salvo of that. It's Axe, as they're calling it, because it's Avengers, X-Men, Eternals. So A for Avengers, X for X-Men, E for Eternals. Uh, This is Eve of Judgment. Like I said, basically the first chapter. And we have Kieran Gillen, Pasquale Ferry, who's working on Eternals with Kieran Gillen. And then the color artist is Dean White and Letters and Design by Clayton Cowles. So um, I don't know if this is 100% necessary to understand what's going on or what's going to go on in this Acts Judgment Day event. There is a big checklist in the back with all of the issues, which it starts off um, with Acts Judgment Day, number one, next week. And then it finishes up in November with Acts Judgment Day, Omega, number one. And in between, we have quite a few issues. Uh, Let's see. 10, 11, 13, 17, 19, 21, 23. So 25 uh no more than that 20 30 37 issues um so quite a few it's quite a few books you know that's over uh, uh, july august september and october with the majority of it coming in august september and october there's just one more issue in july which is that axe judgment day number one and then the only issue in november is the uh, judgment day omega so if you want more context into how the Eternals are going to play in this and why the Eternals are basically want to code of war with the X-Men or, 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 want to take out mutants, this issue will, will flesh that out. And you know, I'm not the biggest Eternals fan because um, honestly, I haven't read that much of them. And I did read the, uh, the first issue of Karen Gillan's, uh, Eternals, And I thought I was fine. But again, I, I don't have any particularly affinity for the characters, any of the individual characters or the group of Eternals as a whole. But I think they are interesting. I mean, Cersei, I've read some stories. She was a member of the Avengers for a while. Um, and I, when I read this, I, there, there are interesting concepts and ideas. Um, but honestly, it's, a, it's almost a double-edged sword with the uh, Eternals because it's so big you know the initial idea of who the eternals are, the, the groundwork and foundation that Jack Kirby created uh, is so big that you almost feel overwhelmed at times and now Karen Gillen has even added to that. he's fleshed it out. so I certainly felt r- like reading this while I was able to understand it and, and again going, going back to the idea of motivations, the motivations the characters are somewhat explained. So I appreciated that but I, and I wouldn't say I felt lost. But I definitely got the sense that if I had been reading the Kieran Gillen's Eternals, that I would have gotten so much more out of the, out of this. And it does make me kind of want to go back and and read what Kieran Gillen has been doing. But again, it's just a matter of having time. So I think that everything you need to know about the uh, event uh, is going to be here about Judgment Day. Um, so again, I don't know 100% if you're going to need this. Uh, obviously, I haven't read the rest of it. Um, Judgment Day. I haven't read that first issue yet, so if some of the ideas or motivations of the Eternals will again be reiterated in that, I don't know. But um, but this was solid, and Pascal Fairy art is is fantastic. The color work definitely um, suits the the line work, so it's a it's a good looking book. And also, I'll give, I'll give a shout out to Clayton Cows. He uses a very interesting font for the uh, kind of the dialogue boxes, not the the word balloons, but kind of the the narration, the expositional boxes that give us more context. Uh, And I thought that was fantastic as well. So it's definitely a a well-made comic uh, in terms of, you know, put together technically very, very well, uh, gorgeous to look at. And it flows, it's paced really well. Um, I just wonder how many people are going to skip it because it's focused on the Eternals. Although, you know, it doesn't necessarily say that it does, I mean, the Eternals are on the cover, but we do get a couple of X-Men, but anybody who's been paying attention knows that this is the same creative team that we're on, uh, that was on Eternals may realize it. So it'll probably sell better than the latest issue of the Eternals, uh, because again, it does give context for what's going to happen. And uh, it's curious because Kieran Gillen's writing Immortal X-Men. So, but but what's going on in the over in the X Men corner doesn't have anything to do right now with what we see here. So I kind of wonder: are we going to see ramifications? Because the X Men have their plate full with their own stuff, like I was just talking about uh, when I was talking about the Hell, Hellfire Gala. So, going to be interesting to see how it all ties together. Uh, okay, up next we have another aftershock title, and I you know I think it's coming out this week, but I'm not. I'm not 100% sure because it's not listed on the site where I uh, I usually go to, to talk about the books that are coming out. Um, but also the the other title um, that I just mentioned where uh, where starships go to die is also not listed. So I mean, I, there's been some aftershock there's been some delays, but then also I just think maybe some of these um, some of these sites just they're not as accurate as they have been in the past, and uh, you know a lot of that might be because of delays in shipping. so if starship's not there, I apologize if this book is not there <laughs> I apologize if the next aftershock book I talk about is not is not in shops. I apologize uh, this is to the best of my knowledge, like I like I said. So anyway, it's called The Brother of All Men. It's by Zach Thompson. Uh, the art is by Ian Marin. I think that's how you say the name. It's E-O-I-N. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Mark Engler does the colors. Hassan El Elhau on letters. It's a story of a guy who is a, a World War II veteran. Um, very much wounded in the war, scarred. Now he's become a private investigator, and he's looking for. uh, He's been hired to find a woman who's missing, and uh, he tracks her to somewhere in the UK, remote island somewhere, and uh, finds out she's part of a cult. So he goes undercover, and he's going to try to uh, to rescue her from this cult. So it's it's sort of weird in a lot of ways. I mean, it's kind of standard. Um, This guy's scarred from the war in more ways than just physically so that that's the part of it and then the other part of it is this cult now zach thompson can write some really weird stuff at times um you know i think his previous aftershock uh, title i breathe the body is definitely evidence of that um so i'm not sure where he's going with the story yet what he's going to be trying to explore through this idea of this this cult um because this guy, like I said, he's got his own issues and yet he's supposed to be the protagonist. He's supposed to be the good guy. He's supposed to be going in there and uh, you know, rescuing this woman. And then does the cult leader actually have powers or is it all in his mind? Um, like what's going on with that? So the, the book has a very melancholy vibe with this like undercurrent of very strangeness, like something's off, like, um, like a Twin Peaks, right? Or an episode of the, the Twilight Zone. Uh, where you know something is off and like stuff could get really scary, but you're not sure. Like, is it going to end up being horror? Is it going to just end up being like a, a weird supernatural? Is it going to be like a, a episode of black mirror? Like it, it's all, it's all yet to be determined or maybe it'll just end up being more of a, you know, a, a damsel in distress PI, uh, pulp story where we're going to get tons of action too soon to say. um but like I said, bit of a, a melancholy feel to it, which is interesting. And I think it suits um Zach Thompson's writing very, very well. Um also the the Ian Marin art and the Mark Inglet uh sorry, the Ian actually now that I'm looking at this, Mark Engler is listed as a writer. So I guess he's co-writing. Sorry, for some reason I thought he was the color artist, but so interesting because we have Zach Thompson listed first and then Ian Marin and then Ingler again. So it's listed as like credited as writer, artist, writer. So yeah, not, not sure exactly how that's, that all plays out, but the, the Marin art, if he's doing line work and colors, um, that makes more sense because the line work and the colors do fit pretty seamlessly together. And again, that, that melancholy feel, it comes both from, from the line work and kind of the, Um, body language and facial expressions, as well as the the color palette that's chosen. So interesting take, not sure where it's going yet. So the jury's still out on on that one, but uh, pick it up, especially if you're a fan of Zach Thompson, uh, if you like stuff that's kind of weird and out there, I feel like that's the direction it's going to go. All right. Up next, we have Captain Carter. I think we're up to issue number four on this one. Um, i so hard not to spoil, uh, Jamie McKelvey's the writer, uh, Marika Cresta is the artist, Matt Miller on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. Uh, we find out who is behind kind of this smear campaign or, or this conspiracy to discredit Captain Carter, to try to take her out, to try to, um, have control over her and, and use her to, to fight the, the enemies of England. I use the word enemies of England, uh, in quotes. Um, and anybody who's a real big Marvel fan from way back when, when the names start dropping, you may say, oh, that sounds familiar. Cause that's what happened to me. Um, and based on what kind of villains they are, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I know that name. I think I know who these people are and sure enough, that's exactly how it all played out. So I know I'm being super obscure. Um, because again, I don't want to spoil, but it it makes sense, um, and it's interesting, and I love that it's set in the UK because it was back in the day too. We're talking about um, you know villains that the invaders fought, World War II, Captain America, all that kind of stuff. So it definitely fits in with what's going on here with uh, with Captain Carter. So I did enjoy it. I can't talk about the story at all without spoiling because um, it is just. It's jam-packed. It's fast-paced. Great job by Jamie McKelvey. Um, Every story beat matters. Every page matters. It moves really quickly. All of it is very tied into the the revelation of who's behind everything. And um, I really enjoy the characterization that Jamie McKelvey gives uh, Captain Carter. Um, Peggy's very much that classic heroine. Um, you know, she's she's still kind of stuck in her old, you know, old fashioned ways in in a lot of ways, obviously she's very strong and capable and formidable. So that's more the modern woman, if you will, um, as opposed to, you know, her own time, but there's a, there's like a properness to her, you know, which is very British in a way, but also, um, very much of her time in a way. Um, and this all goes back to the choices that she makes in respect to how she tries to protect others, right? It's like she's just a heroine in that classic way of, of wanting to sacrifice and put herself in danger, uh, put herself in the line of fire to protect others. So I thought it was fantastic. And the Marika Cresta art has been solid throughout, um, kind of a softness, a roundness to her, um, to her style, which suits uh, Peggy Carter very, very well. Again, it helps set the tone of, of like a more classic uh, superhero story. And the Matt Miller colors are bright and vibrant, just like they should be for uh, for this type of story. So, uh, all right. From one Marvel heroine to the next. Up next, we have Captain Marvel issue number 39 from writer Kelly Thompson. Artists on this particular issue is Juan Figuera and Alvaro Lopez. Jordi Blair on colors, Clayton Cal on letters. It's a uh, trials part two. And we get some pretty big revelations in this issue. Obviously I'm not going to spoil, but we find out where Carol got whisked off to, um, in the middle of last issue, we saw her slain dragons and living in this kind of strange fantasy world. And she didn't know how she got there and didn't seem to have memories of her previous life. And now we find out who put her there and where she disappeared to from that location. Um, and it it makes sense, and uh, it's all laid out. But it's also a bit frustrating. And I, I, as I was reading, I could def- definitely emphasize and uh, feel what Carol was feeling in terms of being frustrated and angry and and almost exasperated. By I mean, she just she acts a, l- a little bit put upon, and you don't blame her for acting that way. You know, other people making decisions and. Uh, you know that affect her life, and she's just out there trying to be the best hero she can, and it's just it's really, really annoying uh, in a lot of ways for her, and and you can definitely understand it. Now, the second half of the book, we we flip back over to New York, and we see Binary, and there's some great uh, character moments between her and Spider Woman, and we're we're still trying to discover and understand who binary is exactly. Is she part of Carol? Is she her own being like what's going on there? Um, And there's some hints that uh, there may be a lot more to binary than we, than we might necessarily think. So um, again, I I talked so much about how great black widow and spider woman and captain Marvel are, um, you know, three strong female characters written by super talented female creators. And unfortunately, Two of those have gone away. Kelly Thompson's Black Widow, Carla Pacheco's Spider-Woman. But at least we still get Kelly Thompson in Captain Marvel. And we still get some Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman in Captain Marvel. Even though, you know, it's not Carla Pacheco, but at least we're still getting it because Carol and Jessica are best friends and Kelly Thompson's fantastic and my favorite Captain Marvel writer ever, like by far. Um, that's thought I didn't like what, Kelly Sue did and not that I didn't like what Margaret Stroll did, but man, Kelly Thompson has been just knocking it out of the park on this book, issue after issue, arc after arc. And I also love how she, she doesn't forget the things that have come before, you know, even though, you know, modern comics, everything's a five or six issue story arc, they build, you know, the the current arc deals with consequences from the previous arc or from an arc, you know, two, three arcs back. Um, So it definitely feels connected still. All right. Next book is also from Marvel, one that people have been anticipating for a little bit. Uh, It's Return of Daredevil with a new number one. Uh, Bugs me that they've renumbered it with a new number one because it's the same creative team. We have Chip Zdarsky writing. Marco Cicetto is the artist. Matthew Wilson on colors. Clayton Cowell on letters. The Red Fist Saga part one. Yeah. I just don't think it needed to be renumbered. I don't think they ever needed to pause it. I think the devil's reign story could have taken place in the pages of Daredevil. It's just annoying that they did it to get more number ones out. And I'm sick and tired of number ones from Marvel. Like number ones, does it even have any sort of sales bump anymore? I kind of doubt it because we've gotten just a new, like we just had a new amazing Spider-Man. It's just, it's not necessary. And I wish Marvel would stop. I really, really do. Um, like, it's almost to the point where I don't want to read the books anymore. Like, I, that, that's the, my only way to protest what they're doing, right? Like, I feel that strongly about it. They need to stop with the new number ones. And if I have to vote with my wallet, then that's that's what I'll do. I, I just, I dislike it so much. Like, I cannot stress how much I dislike it. Now, that being said, I was a big fan of what Zdarsky and Chochetto were doing on Daredevil There's another reason I don't like that it's a new number one. This feels so different. This feels so different. I've talked a lot about Zdarsky lately. He's been putting out a lot of work. We talked about his Batman 125 last week in our DC spotlight. I talked about how it felt so different than what he was doing in Daredevil, even though they're both street-level characters. And then all of a sudden, I get this, and there's kind of two storylines here. Um, We got the Daredevil storyline, the Matt Murdock storyline, and we got the Elektra Daredevil storyline, um, and I imagine the two storylines will come together at some point. Um, the Elektra storyline still feels very grounded. The Daredevil storyline feels like it's going a bit off the rails, because um, again, I, so much of what I talked about recently with Zdarsky was how he keeps it street, and now he's getting a little out there in terms of characters and powers, and you know. Uh, not what I expect from him. And now that's not to say that it's a bad thing. Um, if he wants to tell stories about, you know, cosmic gods and, you know, super powered beings that are, you know, just way out of the league of, of Daredevil in a lot of ways, because they're so powerful. Um, and I'm not saying he's doing that here, but it, this definitely had a different feel. It had more of that sort of feel like Daredevil is, um, becoming involved with people who are just way out of his power class, you know, um, just way more powerful than he is. So it, it, it creates a different dynamic and I'm not sure if I like it. I And so I, I suppose if I want to play devil's advocate here, um, if this is the way the book's going to go, where rather than fighting against the kingpin or the hand or, you know, more, physical opponents that are on Matt's level. If he's going to be punching way above his weight and fighting against these people that have these fantastical superpowers, I guess in a way, the new number one makes sense. Um, I still hate it, but I could see where they, they could use that as a justification to say, Hey, this is signifying that, you know, Matt, this book is going getting away from kind of street level crime and and going into more you know against super heroic um, villains, you know, or, or super powered villains, I should say, not super heroic, but super powered. So I I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, while there's a lot of story in this first issue, um, it's more about setup and creating questions. And we get very, very little answers, but, uh, the Marco Chichetto art is fantastic as always, as is the Matt Wilson coloring, um, super moody. It feels, it looks like it should feel the same. Um, and that's another part of the reason that it it feels so different, um, because the tone of it is so different. So I don't know, check it out and decide for yourself, I guess, if, uh, if you like it, I'm, I'm, I gotta wait. I got to, Probably need three or four or five issues um, to see where it's going before I can decide if, if I like this as much as what we had before Devil's Reign. Because it definitely feels wildly different than, than what we had. And in a way, that's good, right? Because I was sick to death of Kingpin as mayor of New York. I got to be honest with you. So anyway, uh, on to another Aftershock book Dogs of London, number three, three poisonings, one funeral, and a ripped off nose. Writers Peter Milligan, Art is by Artacida. Valentina Bianconi is the colorist. Rob Steen on letters. Uh, this, in a lot of ways, this is exactly what I was talking about with Daredevil, right? Because Peter Milligan started off by giving us this really street, down to earth crime story about some ne'er do wells in London back in the '60s, criminals who you know built themselves up over time, and then you know flashed a, a present day, and one of them is being knighted um and he's like the successful businessman and then Milligan goes back and fills in the gaps uh, in uh, toward the end of issue one and in issue two and we find out a lot about uh, these this gang this, these dogs of London that's where the name comes from the uh the gang that they were in and the betrayal and the backstabbing and um what these uh, boys were Got put through when they were very very young, in kind of the penal system of um, of Great Britain, which may have given them powers. And now we start to see the consequences of, of some of that, the consequences of some of the betrayal um, playing out here in, in issue number three. So this is very well paced, super violent, tons of action and tons of tension. Um, the art by Articida is is fantastic. It's uh, it's very clean. Uh, it's very visceral. It's bloody at times. And I'm just hooked. I'm just all in on this. It, this feels like um, a really interesting Guy Ritchie movie come to life. Um, love the juxtaposition of the, the flashbacks and what's going on in present day. Um, and while you could say giving beans, um, giving people these super fantastical powers, um, in a crime noir story takes it, you know, takes away from the tone and the feel of crime noir, you'd be wrong in saying that, uh, if anything, it kind of amplifies it because these are, you know, ruthless criminals who now have capability to be even more ruthless in a lot of ways, uh, because of the abilities that they have. And so if anything, it kind of amplifies that, um, that crime, street feeling of the story. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of what's going on in that book. Uh, it's been excellent since the first issue. All right, let's jump over to Image. We have 8 Billion Genies by Charles Soule and Ryan Brown. This is issue number three. Um, Color Assist by Kevin Nipstein and Letters by Chris Crank. Uh, this is another really, really fun book. If you're not familiar with what's going on, one day, all of a sudden, out of the blue, 8 billion genies show up on earth, one for every person on earth and everybody gets one wish and pretty much all hell breaks loose because people wish for the craziest, craziest stuff. Um, there is a sanctuary uh, and that's kind of where the, the a lot of the main characters that we follow uh, are, where they're located when the story goes down. And it makes sense why this one place is sort of not affected by the wishes, but uh, it's a big story in a lot of ways but Sol and Brown are doing a good job of keeping it intimate and keeping it relatable um, by giving us some, some characters to root for and um, use as kind of a point of point of view characters. So it's interesting. It's fun. Uh, I think in the next couple issues, we're going to broaden the scope um, and really start looking at the world uh, as a whole and see what some of the consequences are of uh, more of the consequences for these terrible choices that people are making, or terrible wishes that people are making, so it's just a really fun story with endless possibilities. It could go in any direction, and uh, I'm really enjoying it so far. Like uh, it's just, just fantastic, so fun, and uh, I can't wait to see where it goes from here. And the Ryan Brown art, I mean, him and Charles so always have something special when they get together. I mean, their their previous project that they did. Um, curse words was also fantastic. And um, I love the zaniness. Ryan Brown really gets to cut loose here. And the other thing that's cool is every issue we get human population, genie, genie population, and the human population is already, this is issue three, it's already dropped by 2 billion. So, or approximately 2 billion. So a lot of people haven't, haven't survived <laughs> these wishes that are going on and where the genies come from and why is a whole nother mystery that I imagine will get uh, explored at some point. Uh, Okay. Up next, we have uh, Zero War, uh, Fortnite Marvel Zero War, issue number two, written by Christos Gage and Donald Mustard. Sergio Davila is the penciler, Sean Parsons on inks, Edgar Delgado on colors, Joe Caramagna on letters. Uh, The first issue was a little clunky, um, just trying to uh, establish what's going on in the story and, uh, you know, pull in enough Marvel heroes and explain why they're on the Fortnite Island and what have you. So now that all that's been taken care of in the first issue, this issue, uh, the writers get to focus on, on, on just the story and the action. And that's a, that's a good thing. We get to see um, Spider-Man and Wolverine fighting giant mechs. We get to see um, Iron Man and foundation and their respective teams battling all out on the Island. Uh, It's all very brightly colored, which suits a comic that's tied into a video game extremely well. Sergio de Villa art's fantastic. Gage and Mustard do a, a great job of uh, giving us some humor. And uh, it it really fires on all cylinders. I, I think this is the perfect kind of easy and fun read for uh, a Fortnite player who isn't into comics that they can pick it up and read it and go, man, comics are really fun. I should think about becoming a, a regular reader of comics. So I know that, you know, on some level, that's what this is This is for. And uh, on that level, they're succeeding. So um, I enjoyed that second issue uh, way more than the first. Not that I didn't like the first issue. I thought the first issue was, was average, but it was a little clunky. Uh, the pacing and the flow of it wasn't as good as it could be, but they solved that in the second issue. Uh, fantastic. So, uh, all right. Another Marvel book up next, Immortal X-Men, I mentioned earlier. This is issue number four, written by Karen Gillen. Michelle Bandini is the artist. David Curiel on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. The art is fantastic. Um, this issue, particular issue really focuses on um, Emma Frost. She kind of narrates the beginning and end of the issue. Um, and I, I enjoyed that. She's a character that I'm really coming to enjoy more and more. For... I don't know the first 20, 30 years that she was around 20 years. She, she really was so one-dimensional as a villain. Um, and they've, they've made her so much more, uh, complex and, and more of a fleshed out, uh, character. And, and it really works. The art by, uh, Gandini is, is just gorgeous. The line work, um, the storytelling, the way she zooms in and out. Uh, I think I said Gandini, it's Bandini. apologies for that. Michelle. um, yeah. Michelle Bandini. Yeah. Her, her camera angles, uh, you're never bored. This can be a very dialogue heavy book at times. You know, Karen Gillan, uh, is a writer that, that loves his dialogue it can be a little bit expositional. Um, but I, I was never bored. I'm never bored with the art I'm never going, Oh my God, this is going on so long. Um, and I give a lot of credit to, uh, Bandini for that because uh, I didn't mention this when I was talking about the, um, the Judgment, uh, the Eternals book, Judgment Day, Acts, Judgment Day, what have you. But man, th- at times that just felt like, oh my God, there's so many, so many word balloons. There's so much dialogue. And I get it because not a lot of people read Eternals uh, or read Eternals. So you can pick this up. You want context. It's got to be laid out. Um, you don't have to worry about that as much with X-Men. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Gillen gets out of the way and Bandini does a lot of the heavy lifting. So um, this Immortal X-Men is, it does tie into what I was just talking about, Hellfire Gala and what's going on there. Um, So it does feel connected. It also is still paying off seeds that uh, Jonathan Hickman planted way back when. Um, And and it has Mark Brooks covers. I mean, the main covers are by Mark Brooks. Um, And so I'm buying them physically just for that reason. So, uh, gorgeous white queen cover on this one, uh, just fantastic. Like I said, the, like the Immortal X Men is the X Men book to be reading right now, in my in my opinion. So, uh, all right, up next is uh, an Image Comics issue that's making its debut. It's called Impact Winter. It's from writer Travis Beecham. Art is by Stephen Green. Colors are by Matt Hollinsworth. Letters by Anne World Design. The whole idea of this impact winter is that there was an asteroid that hit Earth and it threw up a bunch of ash. Um, and that has allowed the vampires to come out because the Earth is always dark. There's no sun. I feel like we've been getting a crap ton of vampire stories lately from... I'm uh, not, not exactly sure. Town called Terror. We haven't seen vampires yet, but we got this Impact Winter. We got DC versus vampires. There's vampires going on in the Marvel universe right now. There's several other independent books but vampires. Like, I'm not sure. Like, vampires were all the rage when Twilight came out. We even had vampire diaries, whatever, a TV show. And then they kind of went away for a good almost 10 years, I'd say. And now they're like making this comeback for some reason. And it's always, I mean, vampires are always a classic monster. There's always going to be vampire stories, but. Man, it sure seems like we're getting a heck of a lot of them right now. So I wasn't sure if this was a one-shot or a continue, uh, continuing series because um, I saw it was 40 pages. And, and as it was going along, we're getting a big chunk of story, but we're also making some time jumps uh, at various points in the story. And so I felt like maybe it could be um, just a one-shot, But and it does feel like a, a satisfying story if it is only a one-shot. But at the same time, it feels like this world that Beecham has created is uh, is interesting and could have more to offer. Uh, the other thing that's fantastic fantastic about it is there's an audible, um, like audible version of like an audio book version of it. And I, I don't know, uh, it says audio or audible original impact winter for the executive producers of walking dead and the writer of Pacific rim. So I don't know if it tells this same story that's told in this book or if it expands on it or what, but I could definitely imagine listening to this, adding in all the music and ambient sounds to make it, uh, to make it really interesting. So we're getting it set in, uh, in Europe and with, you know, in the midst of this, uh, this winter time, this impact winter, you know, again, asteroid impacted earth caused this, this winter, colder temperatures, no sunlight. It's about the survivors and, and what they're trying to do and how they're trying to survive, especially now that vampires are, are roaming the earth. So um, it's not super horror in terms of, oh my God, that's really scary. And it's not really bloody either, but it feels like you know class a classic vampire story. There's uh, some interesting aspects to it, so if you're into vampires, um, check it out. And the art is interesting as well, a little stylized. Um, I wasn't sure I would like it, but it definitely suits the mood of the story. So I thought Stephen Green, the artist, did a did a good job. Uh, All right, back over to Marvel. We have the latest issue of Moon Knight, which is issue number 13 from writer Jed McKay. The art is by Federico Sabatini, Rochelle Rosenberg on colors, Corey Petit on letters. Not a lot to say about this without spoiling, um, because the best moments in this are character moments for Moon Knight that are actually, they're actually, it's dialogue from somebody else. So so two people having a conversation about Moon Knight and it really sells this idea that Marvel's been putting forward lately about how Moon Knight's like the most dangerous character in the Marvel universe in terms of, you know, he's just crazy and he'll never stop and he's relentless and you don't want to mess with him. And um, it's an interesting take (laughs) for sure. So that's kind of where we are with that. And then the rest of it feels a little bit like setup in terms of um, despite what Jed McKay told me about Marvel telling him that they didn't want to lean into the multiple, multiple personality stuff. We saw Steven Grant show up, Stephen Grant personality show up at the end of last issue. So that was, you know, the second personality because he's been Mark Spector all this time. So now apparently the Jake Lockley um, persona is around as well. And uh, we're going to get some, I don't know, resolution, uh, if that's the right word, but we're going to get some story about all that going forward. So, um you know maybe the show the tv show it's far enough down the down the pipe now already forgotten people have already moved on that jed mckay just had to stay away from the multiple personalities for the first 10 issues first 12 issues um but now he's gonna confront it i don't i mean i don't mind necessarily but you know i've talked to him in the past about part of the reason i'm enjoying this moon night is because that stuff's not in the forefront i just i don't enjoy that aspect of Moon Knight, the whole mental illness. He's crazy. sort. Of. I mean, I like the idea of people being scared of him, um, but I just, at some point you think, man, okay, I get it. He's Moon Knight, phases of the moon, different phases of his personality. But at some point you just want the guy to get some help, you know, and, and sort of not be nuts and just be who he is, um, you know, more of a heroic character, you know, came back from the dead. Um, uh, it's debatable whether he he ever actually died, completely died. Um, But regardless, you know, became the fist of Khonshu, became this um, brutal hero. And and don't get me wrong, he still needs to have an edge, kind of like Batman has an edge when he's, you know, really riled up. Um, But he's ultimately still a hero, right? I mean, he's still a good guy. Uh, I like to see people lean into that aspect of the character a little bit more, so... But I am still enjoying that, and I'm curious what uh, what Jed McKay is going to do uh, going forward in terms of these different personalities. Uh, all right. Ordinary Gods returns with issue number seven. Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark are the writers. Felipe Watanabe is the artist. Colors by Frank William. Clayton Callan Letters. Book's been gone for a while. Glad to see that it's coming back. Didn't know if it was on hiatus, if it was coming back, what the sales were. Um, I'm not going to get into the the details of it. There's plenty of interviews with Kyle and pre- previous um, spoiler-free reviews of of the uh, of the book. Uh, too complicated to try to explain. But what I will say is that um, this issue starts off with um, the gods that are that are un, in their minds unjustly trapped here on Earth, um, kind of getting their bearings and making a plan for what needs to happen, but what I'll say is that just because somebody's in your same circumstances and you think they're on your side, doesn't mean they're really on your side, right? People have different ways of trying to accomplish the same goal, and they're not always compatible with how others see it. Plus, there's a, there's a whole idea of a generational thing, and um, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes, and uh, and even though these are gods in a lot of ways. Uh, they're very similar to humans, different personalities, different ideas about the way to get things done. And uh, I love the politics. It's, it's a big book uh, with big ideas that uh, is really grounded through um, the way these characters interact with each other. Because as much as they're gods and and are really powerful, a lot of times their um, they're interpersonal reactions – Their emotions are what drives their decision-making, and that's relatable to us as humans, right? Uh, We can understand where both sides are coming from. You can pick a side, root for a side. So um, glad it's back. Um, Go check out the first six issues in trade, uh, which were really fantastic, and uh, jump on board with issue number seven. Uh, Okay, back to Marvel with uh, Punisher. This is issue number four written by jason aaron we've got art by jesus Sayas and paul as a dave stewart on colors cory Petit on letters i really really enjoyed this issue my favorite issue so far um the as a art which is the flashbacks i'm still not a huge fan of his style but i do appreciate that the flashbacks are in a completely different style um the jesus size um present day stuff is gorgeous um this issue really kind of reminds us that, the the hand, they're not, they're not good guys, you know? And uh, Jerry Conway, who, who created Punisher is the first to say that Frank Castle is not a hero either. He's not someone to aspire to. Um, But this, this issue reminds us that there's a tragedy there and there's a, There was at one time a nobility to Frank Castle. Um, Now, whether or not what Jason Aaron's adding to his mythos takes away from that is a a conversation (laughs) for another day, but it is a a valid conversation. And in a lot of ways, I think back to what Jason Aaron added to the Thanos with Thanos rising um, and whether or not the original creator of Thanos was a fan of that or not. Uh, which I won't get into the details of here, but it's, it's something to think about, you know, when you go back and you add stuff, and again, it's not like Jerry Conway owns the Punisher. Marvel does. So Marvel can do whatever they want with the character. Um, But it changes when you go back and add things to Frank Castle's past that, um, that may make him less noble. I mean, this idea of him uh, being a, a very, Heroic figure in terms of you know being a marine and being very decorated, showing bravery and courage on the battlefield, uh, putting his life on the line for his fellow soldiers. You know, again, there's a heroism and there's an ability to that, and you can think about, well, why did he decide to take the law into his own hands and become a murderer? Well, he snapped because his family was murdered. And you can, you know, you can relate to that. If you, if you have a wife and you have kids or you have significant others and you can think about, you know, if they were suddenly taken from you by criminals, what, you know, what would you do? I mean, there, I think we've all at times wanted to take the law into our own hands or, you know, be able to give somebody what we feel they deserve because they've done something that's horrible and gotten away with it. So again, there's a, even though what he's doing that, you could be on the sign that the ends don't justify the means. At least you can understand it. Um, And with him being part of the hand, you feel like he's lost his way. Well, maybe not. Maybe not with what happens in this, in this issue. So I like what Jason Aaron's doing. Favorite, favorite issue of it so far. Um, This is a series, like this is the most I've enjoyed a Punisher book in a really, really long time. Because uh, it's not just uh, two-dimensional with Castle out there just killing people, trying to figure out how to kill people, trying to hunt somebody down. Um, this is much more nuanced and complicated than that. And I, I appreciate that. All right. Up next, back to image with issue number 19 of Undiscovered Country, written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule. We have art by Giuseppe Camencola and Leonardo Marcello Grassi. Colors by Matt Wilson, lettered by Crank. A uh, Bit of a transition issue, setup issue. Some of the characters have transitioned to another uh, place in in the spiral as they're traveling uh, through America. This America that's been shut off uh, from the rest of the world for decades, but I think centuries maybe have passed within the walls. So that mystery still hasn't been solved. Uh, and the other half of the uh, expedition group seems to be in another part of the spiral. So what exactly that means? What exactly is going on with this reality? uh we don't know yet we just get um two or three different threads uh two or three different scenes where uh we see that they're all in danger right they're all in danger and they're trying to figure out where they are and why um but what i will say is in in both instances in both locales where the the two uh groups of this exposition find themselves feel inherently American. Um, And that's been the case throughout this series. That's been my favorite thing about the series from Soul and Snyder, how uh, these different lands, if you will, of the spiral feel like funhouse mirror reflections of the the US, which allows them to make commentary on who we are as a country and who we are as a people. Um, And unfortunately, it's the reflection is not always something you want to look at. Um, you know, sometimes you look at yourself in a funhouse mirror and you feel a little queasy. Um, and yeah, we—I think we as a country could all do with a little introspection and, and self-reflection because um, things aren't so great. And uh, as much as I like comics to be escapism, I also like comics that make you think and start a conversation. And you know, Scott has and Charles, both have talked a lot about how, you know, they were planning this book long before the pandemic and the craziness of the the political craziness of the last few years. And all of a sudden their book became very prescient, (laughs) which I don't think either of them were uh, expecting, but uh, I can't wait till this is completed and I can kind of read it all in one sitting. It's going to make for a a fantastic read. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot more out of the story once, uh, once that's the case. So. Uh, All right. Are we on? Wow. We're down to the last book already. Uh, So it's fantastic Four issue number 45. This is the end of the reckoning war. The final watch it's called. It's written by Dan Slott. Fario Karami is the artist. Jesus Arbatov on colors, Joe Caramani on letters. The art's fantastic. I'm not familiar with Farid's art, uh, but I thought he did a fantastic job. Arbatov's colors are amazing as always. Um, I, I really loved the Reckoning War story. It felt so inherently Fantastic Four-ish, so adventuresome. Uh, if anything, I kind of would have liked it to, to have been bigger and s- saw some impact of it in some other Marvel books. But, you know, it was self-contained, and there's something to be said for that as well. Um, and basically, the war kind of ended the last issue. We saw Reed uh, sort of save the day, and I won't go into it more than that in case you haven't read it. But what's great about this is uh, this issue 45 is that Dan Slot gets to tie up all the loose ends, right? Like so often you get a big event and then it's over and the heroes win. And then the next issue just starts up the next arc. And you're like, but what about this and this and this and this, you know, what what happened to this hero and that hero and where did, what happened after they just kind of skip over and everything's sort of back to normal. Um, instead, slot takes his time and he shows us, what happened to all the different characters where what happened to the thing what happened to sue and reed what about their kids what about johnny what about uata the watcher what about the other watchers what about she-hulk what about jack of hearts what about silver surfer what about galactus like we get all that we get all that here we get answers to all of that and sort of a new status quo for uh uata and nick fury and the watchers overall which i think works really really well what uh what dan Slot does so uh, I thought it was fantastic. Really loved it. I'm glad that we got this story. Um, you know, again, it's not, nothing groundbreaking here, except maybe the status for the Watcher uh, that could have a long-lasting impacts. But the rest of it just feels it. It just feels like you know answers to the to the questions. Everything getting cleaned up and put back in its place. Maybe not in the exact same place, and maybe not in the exact same way. But everything gets tied up, and I, I appreciate that because again, so often we don't get that. This is almost like um, the prologue, if you will. So I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the entire Reckoning War. It was really great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This isn't one of those things where I'm looking forward to going back and reading it in one sitting because I feel like I'll get more out of it because I feel like I, it was such a great story and well-paced and everything was sort of uh, in your face, uh, which I loved. Just this big adventuresome story, but I want to go back and read this because I, uh, again, because I want to go back and read it again, because I want to go back and read it all together as one, um, because I think it'll read really quickly, um, because it's such a page turner and it'll just be enjoyable to, to experience it all, the whole story and, and, you know, more compressed period of time. So I'm definitely looking forward to uh, checking it out when I have time. Uh, all right. Let me give a rundown on some other books you might want to be on the lookout for. Like I said, I'm not sure what else is coming out from Aftershock. I talked about three books, but only Dogs of London is listed. But there's also Heathen's Hunters of the Dam trade paperback, which is a Cullen Bunn series from Aftershock. It's one I've never read. One of the few Aftershock series I've never read. I don't know how I missed it. Um, So I definitely uh, am going to be picking that up uh, over at... Dark Horse, we've got, uh, speaking of Colin Dunn, we've got Tales from Harrow County, The Lost Ones, number three of four, uh, as that very popular series is uh, starting to wind down. From DC, and again, you can go listen to these on our DC Spotlight. We talked about them in detail yesterday. Uh, Batgirls, number eight. Batman Urban Legends, number 17, which has a fantastic Batman uh, Black Adam story got dark crisis worlds without a justice league superman number one which was amazing if you're one of those people that hates that john kent was aged up do yourself a favor and pick this up because it gives a glimpse into what we might have had had john not been aged up but don't get too mad (laughs) it's a great story but at the same time, it's like, oh, see, this is what we could have had. Just be glad that it exists. Uh, there's also a few, um, speaking of vampires, if you didn't get a chance to read any of the DC versus vampire stuff, there's a couple of collections out today. There's coffin at DC versus vampires coffin edition, number one, that collects issues one through three of DC versus vampires. And then there's DC versus vampires crypt edition, which collects issues four, five, and six from that series. So if you need to get caught up, you can pick those up. Uh, Future State Gotham is up to issue 15. I Am Batman is on issue number 11. We have the second season of Naomi, number five of six. Rogues, number three of four, Black Label book, absolutely fantastic. So, so good. Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 13 has the in-universe debut of Dreamer, the Nicole Maines character from The CW. What's really cool is Nicole Maines uh, helped co-write the issue with Tom Taylor, so get input from the actress that played that character on TV. And a couple of Wonder Woman books, number 789 of the regular series, and then Wonder Woman Evolution, number eight of eight. Uh, Over at... Uh, Image, in addition to the uh, books that I talked about, we have Above Snakes, number one of five, King Spawn number 12, Loaded Bible, Blood of My Blood, number five of six, Uh, Slumber, number five. There's a Spawn Aftermath Trade Paperback that's also coming out. Uh, Not sure if it's new material or if it's collecting stuff. Uh, For Marvel, again, I talked about a lot of the books, but there are a few others that are coming out today. We've got uh, Marauders, number four. We've got New Mutants, number 27. We've got Savage Avengers, number three. Uh, Spider-Man, 2099. Exodus, number four. Spider-Punk, number three of five. Star Wars, The Mandalorian, number one. If you're a big fan of that show, you might want to be picking that up. And Wolverine, number 23, which has uh, an homage cover, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, let me see if there's anything else that Jay would want me to uh, to mention. Oh, from Valiant, uh, I didn't get a chance to read this, and I was sad that I didn't. But Archer and Armstrong Forever, number three, that uh, from writer Steve Fox, that has been such a fun, fun book, um, and, and just a great uh, a great series for uh, a jumping on point, like for new readers, somebody who's not familiar with Archer and Armstrong, you can pick that up and 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 catch on really, really quickly. Uh, I should also mention from Vault Comics, we have Barbaric, The Harvest Blades, number one, from writer Michael Morisi, and then West of Sundown, number four, which I think that's another vampire book, but I'm not um, I'm not 100% certain on that. So, so don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that it is. So anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, hope you get a chance to Pick up some fantastic books. If you're going to be at San Diego Comic Con, make sure that you are following me on social media. I'll be around, and as always, I'll have uh, trade paperbacks and comics and lanyards and tons of stuff to give away if you find me at the show. So, uh, going to be busy. Going to be hitting up some parties. Going to be talking to some uh, creators that are friends, hanging out with some of them, and uh, you know, love to introduce you to any creators I'm with. If you happen to find me with some. Uh, doing some interviews as well. So I uh, hope to see you guys there. Let me know if you're going to be there. Hit me up on Twitter. Um, who knows, we might be able to grab a drink or something. So anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Appreciate you all listening as always, and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us.